Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Hey everyone, Jordan here with the Startup to Scale podcast with a, another really exciting episode with my friend, Jane McKay, who is the founder of Astute Ideas. She works with food and beverage startups to uh, really help them get started and grow their business. She's a previous CPG founder herself, and we'll kind of get into that um, and has lots of kind of experience in the space. So Jane, welcome. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me. It's great. There's so much fun. I know we were just talking about how we even first met, and it's been years now since we've known each other in so many different capacities. Um, but I'd love for you to, to tell that story of, of how we how we met. So I think it's also uh, very kind of informative on where we are today, too. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I was just thinking back to where I cut my teeth in the CPG world and, you know, as co-founder of a Chicago-based spice company called um, The Zen of Slow Cooking is where I first met you. I think we were in Whole Foods in Sorganash in uh, the northern suburbs of Chicago, um, you know, demoing at our respective tables, uh, touting our wares and talking about our brands, our beloved brands, and that's where our paths first crossed. Um, so, yeah, that was probably some seven, eight, nine years ago, I think now. And this is when we were each in like a handful of stores and trying to figure things out and figure out how this this thing we call the CPG industry works. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, and not knowing how much we had left to learn, it was it's uh, yeah, we've both come a long way since then, I think. We definitely have. So uh, I think for, you know, for today, I love to explore all the things that that you've learned along your journey and are implementing right now in your new work. But maybe we'll kind of start with your experience starting the Zen of Slow Cooking, how it came about and your why for creating it. Yeah, definitely. I think starting with the why is probably quite a good place. You know, um, our purpose and belief at Zen of Slow Cooking was really twofold. Um, we talked about this a lot along our journey. It was number one, to bring simplicity and ease to the home cook through our spices but while creating an inclusive economy. And when we founded the company back in 2012, it was kind of an elusive goal. It was really tricky to sort of build that purpose in right from the, the beginning of the business. So um, we ended up in a really nice place. Um, we were blending spice blends for the home cook uh, to use in a slow cooker or an instant pot. Meanwhile, we'd created an integrated workforce model to employ adults with disabilities or any sort of learning challenges. Um, and we did created a, a one particular channel around um, for all of our D2C business in a warehouse which employed um, adults with disabilities. So I think, you know, from the off, the why was to do both of those things. We were very heavily focused on being a business with purpose, um, you know, and, and driving, using business as a force for good, which has become synonymous with being a B corporation as well. I absolutely love that. Um, and I know we, you actually wrote a piece on our w website on how to, or becoming a, a B Corp and the benefits. So for anyone listening, would love to, um, to check that out if you have any more, um, any more questions around that. Um, talk to me about the, I know starting a, 
in the spice category is really challenging uh, because of velocities and things like that. Talk about kind of what it was being a premium brand in the spice category. Yeah, you're really right. I think that the market that that category was um, fairly saturated from the point of view of the sort of I wouldn't say lower quality, but I'd just say well-known brands in the aisle. And to suddenly come in and try to try to take some of that shelf space over was really challenging because we had a, a message that we needed to communicate and educating the consumer was actually one of the most costly and difficult parts of our journey. So where you saw, you know, the competitors of ours that had been in the market for years suddenly coming in with a high, much higher price point because our spices were non-GMO certified. Um, they were mostly organic and they were in a premium spot. Um, to command that higher price was actually quite difficult in the spice aisle. Um, when you're alongside a product that was coming in at, you know, maybe a dollar, a dollar fifty, um, and we were going up to about three dollars a unit um, because of the certifications and the provenance of our spices as well. So I think that in of itself, anytime you have to educate the consumer, I think you've got a lot of work on your hands, um, not only to even get your cost of goods to a point where you can uh, compete with the, the giants in the industry, um, but, you know, the education piece is, is uh, critical and actually very difficult to achieve, I think, a lot of the time. So that was one of the main challenges, I think, for first off in the spice aisle. But where we started was with a food blog and a very small footprint in a local area. And so we did find that actually proving the concept um, by having a, a really nice group of champions and, um, you know, brand ambassadors locally was a really great way to sort of amplify that message and get the word out too. So it was twofold. It was difficult getting on the shelf in bricks and mortar and actually pushing the, the product when it was sat alongside the cheaper alternatives. Um, but equally, we had a really nice start with uh, growing it, you know, on the direct to consumer website um, and locally, certainly. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I hear founders talk about this idea all the time of like disrupting a sleepy category of basically going into an aisle of the store where it typically has like older products, legacy brands and slower velocities. Um, but it's also a challenge because it's like, as you mentioned, educating consumers is one of the hardest things that you can do and, and changing their behavior to try something new. Um, and it just, it's possible. It just requires a lot, a lot of money, you know, multi-millions of dollars over a sustained period. Um, you know, the spice category is one of those, I know the tea and coffee category is one of those as well, particularly tea. Coffee moves a lot, but there's a high amount of competition. Um, yeah. so it's, it's really challenging, but I, I love how you were able to build this community, um, as you were just starting out and even before of, kind of the the home cooks and cooking enthusiasts around um, slow cooking originally, which kind of moved to, and crock pots, which moved to, to multi-cooking. Um, talk about kind of how you built that community of, of and, and, and what that process was like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, and I always love to say we kind of went from farmer's market to Walmart, and that is exactly what we did. And, you know, obviously there were mistakes along the way and challenges that, that I can speak more deeply about. But 
we literally took our product to the farmer's market and tested out the different recipes and had our community um, of, you know, our key target really, you know, the, the enthusiastic home chef through to the solution seeker. So anyone looking for a way to get dinner on the table more quickly, but with ease and without tons of ingredients. Um, and actually, when you wrapped up the entire price within the spice packet and the fresh ingredients, it often came out much, much less than buying takeout food and things like that. But again, that's where the education piece is. So to build the community, we started with the blog. We launched the blog in 2012, all around slow cooking, but actually really using good ingredients and whole foods and things like that. And um, rather than, the, you know, the classic kind of slop and mush that we a lot of people associated with the slow cooker meals that were coming out of them and cheap meat and things like that so we sort of transformed it we took our most popular recipes and developed the spice blends from the back of that so we we used the knowledge that we had from what our consumers were cooking at home and what they like to eat and developed uh, the product to fit their their needs um, at home for like a weeknight dinner for example um, and then we got very heavily into the plant-based movement because my daughter turned vegetarian back in 20. 14 of her own accord and so we actually were able to kind of ride a bit of that wave too we had a you know a big chunk of our recipes became plant-based around beans and using the slow cooker for the things that it was really good at so our methodology certainly helped us create that community as well because people just relied on us with our trident tried and true recipes and our knowledge um, and enthusiasm for that specific category and that modality of cooking, which is what set us apart from other brands, as well as the purpose driven aspect, too. So, um, you know, we did have we did have a USP that was, um, you know, uh, resonating with people and resonating with our target market It was, you know, first and foremost, to give them accessibility to a good, healthy meal. Um, using, you know, spices when spice um, spice blends were becoming more interesting for their functionality uh, around what they can do for you health-wise if you incorporate them sort of every day of your life, right through to sort of the other aspect of being a business with purpose. So our community came to us from in a variety of different ways, but principally on the basis that they wanted to have good recipes to cook at home. I love that. You know, one of the most impactful ways of looking at business that that a mentor taught me was around treating every idea in the business as a hypothesis to a problem that you're solving. And I think when you were launching Zenith Slow Cooking uh, with your co-founder, it was around, hey, we have this community that's interested in, in meal solutions and ease of cooking how can we build a product that aligns with our values and, and satisfies them? And so, you know, really the company kind of came out of a hypothesis that this is what they were, they were looking for. Um, now there are some other th learnings along the way in terms of what, you know, what the larger market may have been looking for, um, how big of a consumer base there was for the particular product. But, you know, I think that's where you guys did some, some pivoting along the way and some testing and learning um, as you were, as you were growing the company. And so, um, really just saw, you know, seeing that and, and I went through the same thing with T-Squares as, um, how can we best kind of solve this problem that we see and how big a problem is it? And, you know, what is the solution that, uh, that will really satisfy them? 
Yeah, absolutely. The pivot, the pivoting is um, really key when you're that small. You just have to face up to what the issue has been and then be able to turn on a dime, which does become, you know, challenging if you're talking about packaging redos and things like that. But certainly in terms of our market, when COVID hit, we were in the perfect place. I hate to say it, but, you know, we were very lightweight, very easy to ship. We could get it out the door fast and everyone was at home learning to cook more, you know, because they weren't going out to restaurants or shopping. So there were some moments of, of real success um, with the brand in that sense. Um, we were meeting people where they were. If anything, we were kind of there a bit too soon. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it certainly helps to be able to pivot. And my, my co-founder, Meg Barnhart, who actually was the original founder of the Zen of the Cooking, um, her and I would, would stay up late and figure out what we we're going to do the next day and just go for it. I love that. So, you know, now you're, you're created a new business, um, Astute Ideas, where you're working with um, other food and beverage companies. Um, talk about kind of your journey around taking the lessons that you've learned and how you're now working with uh, new companies. Yeah, sure. So um, I founded Astute Ideas, um, you know, a consultancy based business working with food and beverage startups, really, um, with cross Atlantic interests. So not not solely to help people, you know, hop across the pond, either UK to US, because I should qualify and now live back in the UK. Um, it could work either way, UK to US, US to UK. But it's really because I'm excited about a couple of different things. Number one, I'm excited about helping anyone who I feel is in a similar situation to, to the ones I was in with Zen of Slow Cooking, you know, growing the brand, maybe trying to shortcut some of the mistakes that I made, uh, that we made at Zen, highlighting the successes and what actually really works well, but just to actually help people get their footprint established um, and, and work out strategically uh, what the best moves are for them to even consider a hop across the pond, right? Because, you know, it's all, it's all well and good, but it might not be the best move. It's really being able to look at the, the categories and look at the market um, for any food and beverage brand and see if there's opportunity there. Um, so my sort of ideal is just to, is to help those, you know, startups and SME, small to medium sort of businesses um, realize their potential in that way. And it has to be a better for you brand, uh, which brings me on to my second passion. And that is the no and low alcohol space. That's something I've been tinkering with for sort of three years or so um, in the background and just seeing it explode both on the European continent and then in the US has been fabulous and just to see what's happening in the, the health and wellness space as well. So it's the perfect kind of in, um, intersection for me of my brand and what I want to do with Astute Ideas coming off the back of a wonderful 10 years at Zen, um, a business with purpose and actually trying to drive that through with the, the brands that I'm starting to work with now. How does the this new category compare to the spice category? Right, so in many ways, in terms of what I was doing at Zen of Slow Cooking, I think you put it really nicely when you said some of these those legacy brands, right? So the McCormick spices compared to Zen of Slow Cooking, which was a premium product. In some ways, there's overlap with this category in that sense. We were creating almost a new category with Zen of Slow Cooking and no one, the no and low space. And I'm working with a brand called Kalenio, which is a tropical non-alcoholic spirits company at the moment. Um, 
that particular category is new and you know trying to trying to do the similar things to what we were doing in the spice category so a lot of education in the no and low space there's um depending on where you look and who you talk to and what your demographic is uh there's so many things to educate on you know what does no and low truly mean what is zero proof for example what is a what is non-alcoholic truly non-alcoholic um what what are people doing why are they drinking it are they moderating or are they cutting out alcohol altogether and the the other big challenge at the moment in this particular category, not dissimilar to the spice category with um, the, the new kind of um, premium spice blends, is educating the middle, the middlemen, the middle women, the middle people, distributors, you know, um, the brokers. And actually, in some ways, I find that the manufacturers and the founders of the business I'm working with, it's all educating the the rest of the supply chain um, and all of the sales process. There's a huge amount of questions being asked because, you know, for example, um, distributors, drink, you know, the traditional drinks distributors, for example, don't know where to put the no and low drinks. They, they just don't know how to do it yet. And it's the grocery bricks and mortar stores don't know either. So in some ways, the similarity would be, you know, starting with a, a direct consumer online play is absolutely the key to to the success of some of the the no and low brands at this point, without kind of breaking the bank going straight into big distribution, because the distributors and the grocers actually don't know what to do with a lot of these these products at this point so i hope that sort of answers that question to a degree yeah um, no it definitely does and i love talking about um this kind of stuff and and i, I have a ton of questions now that I, you've been working in the space that i'm just curious about uh, and and i i really like it so right like i think there's a definite trend of consumers consuming less alcoholic beverages and those that are um lower in 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 alcohol content or known. Um, but a lot of people from outside the industry might say like, oh, well, why don't you just grab a, a Coke or a Sprite or a, a juice? Like why, you know, where's the need for something else? There's lots of non-alcoholic beverages. Um, what What's the need for this other thing? Um, what are you kind of finding that consumers are, are looking for and why they're kind of going to this space? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's still so early days. So number one, I think it's all about for us, it's all about the moment. It's about that special moment. It might be a aperitivo hour. It might be something like that. Um, it could be a brunch sort of moment where folks are going out with their friends and they they may want either a non-alcoholic beverage to kick off with and they may not drink any alcohol at all or they might just want to kind of switch between the two, right? So, the, so one of the challenges is very much around why is it, expensive why is it more more expensive to drink um you know a, a non-alcoholic categorized beverage well number one it takes the same amount and it actually you know costs the same amount to de-alcoholize um you know a drink and distill it to the point where you've got that bottle of let's say the Caleno dark and spicy um you know so the process is in many ways the same as producing an alcoholic beverage but also the to get the flavors and to get the, the sort of adult, more adult forward um, flavors that people associate with possibly an alcoholic beverage um, that has zero alcohol in, um, 
you know, it needs to go through all of those processes and it's just a more elaborate drink. And I think um, today we've been offered Diet Coke or you're offered all sorts of other um, soft drinks, we would call them, or, you know, more sugary drinks. But a lot of these non-alcoholic drinks are just more adult in flavor and taste. And you can mix them as you would um, say a, a base spirit so you can yeah and I think that's it. what's what's really exciting too raise the idea that if if the consumer is drinking a a you know a jack and coke or like a, a rum and coke or something that's very like a simple beverage like maybe a a coke without the alcohol is an alternative but for someone who wants the the complexity and the of a kind of well-made cocktail by a bartender or someone um you know, something like this would be a great alternative where they, it's its interesting, it's unique, they're out for a, a interesting night out and want a conversation piece or something that's really fun to explore versus something that's basic that they can have um, every day, which yeah, that's totally the market. That's it. And there's, there's a lot of sort of things that you see, it's sort of the bitters flavor, you know, mm -hmm. for an an Aperol or an aperitif type drink is very adult, you know, that wouldn't be something you'd drink as a, you know, a younger person um and then there's kind of the pepperiness of a lot of the the back bar spirits that are coming out and you know that gives it that hint of something a bit more special and interesting but a lot of it is about the moment you know at Kalenya we're all about you know the fun and um the fun of not drinking you know why do you need to to have an alcoholic drink at every every opportunity it's it's just making it super fun and ha having like a nice drink in a tall glass with a great mixer or, and it could be a cocktail or it could be a simple serve but any of those things to help you feel like you're included so it's back to inclusivity isn't it as well um what to drink when you know you're not drinking I love that Jane well I'm really excited and I'm happy that you get to explore this new category and others as well in your new role and I want to thank you for being on the podcast today and sharing that story of growing from you know farmer's market to, to Walmart and now helping to build other new categories with new brands so lots of um, things and exciting things you're doing and looking forward to seeing what else comes next awesome thanks so much for having me Jordan <laughs>